Morning, church. Good to see you this morning. So I get to uh, present the word today, and we are in our second week of our different series, studying the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, if, you're, if you have not been reading along uh, with us, I really encourage you to do that. Uh, just read a couple of chapters a week. Uh, so that's, you're going to stay on track with us as we go through this. That's going to give you kind of an overview of Paul's letter here. I think it will help, uh, help you grab onto the messages as we go through. But if you weren't here last week, let me catch you up to speed. So last week, Tim introduced the city of Corinth, and he explained its geographical importance, its wealth, its commerce, uh, its corruption, and the giftedness yet spiritual immaturity of the church there. And he took us through the first two chapters and summarized Paul calling out these immature Christians who were divided even though they were supposed to be on the same team. And see, the world is divided. The church is supposed to live differently like Jesus lived differently. And so we're going to jump into chapters 3 and 4 so you can have that open. But we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this idea of being different. That this overarching theme of living different than the world, that's still in play here. But we're going to discuss the differences among the people in the church and talk about what that can do to the body of Christ. So chapters 3 and 4, if I were to summarize, Paul knows how gifted and resourced this church is. But they're immature and worldly. Their differences, which should be viewed as a good thing, uh, really are causing them to fight. They're judging each other. They're arguing. They're completely missing the point of being the church. And their worldly outlook is causing them to focus on their minor differences rather than what brings them together. And Paul describes himself as a servant and asks them to compare his ways to the world's ways. And he urges them to follow the example that, that he's trying to set with his discipleship. The worldly status and wisdom means nothing. It's foolish before God. And this church was filled with Christians only looking out for themselves. And that's where we're gonna start today in chapters three and four. But first, let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would speak through me, that your words would ring true, and that we would hear the truths that we need to hear in order to grow as disciples of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So my wife and I enjoy hosting. Uh, we've hosted couples, families, life groups. Um, we, we finally, our Colorado house was kind of small. Uh, we got a little bit more space here, and we really enjoy having people over. And that means Owen, our four-year-old son, is forced to have people over. Um, forced might be a little strong, but because he meets them at the door because he thinks everybody come over is, is here to play with him. And he's perfectly okay as long as you're playing by his rules. Uh, but so our life group uh, meets on Tuesday nights and we've got 10 kids. Uh, so every Tuesday, um, he's asked to share his basement and share his toys with nine other children. You can imagine how this goes sometimes. And uh, yeah, he's okay as long as you're playing with playing correctly. Um, you know, our, our study is is held upstairs, and the kids are in the basement, and it's not soundproof, so we can hear a few things going on. We try to focus, 
Um, we have some great babysitters uh, that, that referee them very, very well. But once in a while, we'll hear a whine or a cry or something. And it's interesting to see the parents react because you've been listening to your kids cry ever since they popped out. And you know their, their cries. You know uh, if it's yours or not. And so if, if you identify, oh, that's not my kid. I don't care. It's not my problem. I'm just going to keep studying. Um, but when it's yours, your ears perk up. You, and then you start having that silent conversation with your spouse and you just kind of look at him like, yeah, is that, that's, yep, that's ours. Are you going to go do something? No, I want to study the scriptures with the adults I'm having. Well, somebody's got to go do, wait, no, it's stop. Okay, we're good. We're good. <laughs> so it's, it's very distracting. And, and it, it's awkward when it's your own kid. Uh, and I'm a person that just like wants to speak towards the awkwardness just to break it. And so last week it was Ronnie and I's turn to have that silent conversation. Is that him again? Yes. Okay, so I'm like, sorry guys, you know, Owen's just kind of getting used to having people in his territory, you know, only child and everything. And all the parents immediately were like, oh my goodness, if it's not your kid, it's going to be our kid next week. We're totally get it, you know. It, we're all in the same boat here. Made me feel better. One of the dads even mimicked, uh, one, you know, a kid saying, that's my toy. It's been on the shelf for eight months and I haven't played with it, but I had a plan to start playing with it the moment you picked it up. <laughs> it, it's fun to kind of make fun of our kids and, and just kind of make light of the situation like that. Um, and we, we really do try to teach them out of this, you know, self-centered and in, inward-focused uh, mindset uh, so that they can grow up to be just like us, pure and holy. And, um, <laughs> but we're, we're just all kind of naturally like that, aren't we? Even as adults. It's easy to... Uh, to talk about the kids, but, but we live in an adult culture that teaches individualism. Selfishness and pride are at the root of that. In our inability to see others' points of view causes division. And Paul calls out the Corinthians for this behavior. Uh, in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, he says this, For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other, doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world when one of you says, I follow Paul? Well, I follow Apollos. Aren't you acting like people of the world? They're arguing. They're judging one another. They're creating divisions where division doesn't need to be. And Paul is saying, stop thinking about yourselves and focus on how you can come together as a unit. But in order to do that, some of you are going to have to grow up a little bit. See, these Corinthians thought they were all that in a bag of chips, okay? But Paul was writing this letter to say, your milkshakes aren't bringing all the boys to the yard. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> I worked hard on that one. Paul, Paul bursts their bubble when he called them infantile Christians who were sucking down breast milk instead of digesting solid food. That was a shot to their ego because they thought they were wise, but only on world standards because in God's standards, in God's eyes, they, they were fools. They were self-centered and divided. As I was studying uh, these two chapters, I really wanted to just self-reflect. I mean, how am I self-centered? How 
is, does my inward focusness lead to division? So I'm going to tell on myself a little bit, and you'll understand why I don't have any Jesus bumper stickers. Because every city has its own driving culture. And I grew up in the, in the country, so I learned how to drive on open roads. I could really drive as slow or fast as I wanted to. The, the worst you know, season was harvest season when you'd ran, run into you know, the farm equipment out on the roads. But really, not, not much traffic. And then I met my wife who grew up around Chicago. And in Chicago, the driving culture is move or get run over. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I kind of got into that. Uh, <laughs> people drive with a purpose there. I, I drive with a purpose. So that was a good fit for me. But then we moved to Colorado Springs, where no one drives with a purpose. <laughs> for six years, I lived there. And for six years, every time I got in the car, I was angry. <laughs> no one turned right on red, even though it was perfectly legal. No one's coming Go. In a city of half a million people, how is it that I'm the only one that knows how to merge properly? <laughs> Merging is not that difficult. You get up to speed and you float right in. No one knew how to do that. And, of course, the biggest offense on the interstate, what is the left lane for? <laughs> Passing and driving fast. I like that lane. Get out of my way. <laughs> if you are in the left lane and you are running parallel to someone in the right lane, it is your responsibility to do this or do this. <laughs> 55 in the left lane is not acceptable. <laughs> I would get so frustrated. And because I was only thinking about where I wanted to go, how I wanted to get there, how fast I wanted to get there. It's amazing how we, I could be driving 80, somebody passes me going 90, well, they're going entirely too fast. You know, I'm, I always drive at the proper speed limit uh, or at the speed at which I need to go somewhere. Everyone else is wrong. But I'm being so selfish, though, aren't I? No one else can relate to that, I'm sure. Speaking of road rage... I once visited a church, uh, had two services. We're coming out of the first service. People are coming into the, uh, to get ready for the second service. Walking out into the parking lot, and there was this bus uh, pulled up in the handicapped uh, area, and he had uh, the ramp down. So he was obviously uh, helping someone with a wheelchair out of the bus so that they could get into church. And up pulls this car, this woman rolls down her window, blares her horn like nothing else. I thought she was going to run out of horn. And she was yelling out the window, get that bus out of my spot. He was parked in her handicapped spot. What she wasn't looking at is she was actually sitting in the very next handicapped spot, just as close to the entrance. But no, that was her spot. We like our spots, don't we? Anybody familiar with uh, dairy cows? I, I've, I've learned that dairy cows tend to go to the same milking stall without being trained. They just, they just do that. People are a lot like dairy cows. We, we, we say, no, we don't have assigned seats, but we really have assigned seats. <laughs> Another time I was visiting a church, and it was really early uh, before the service. 
uh, we got there. We were just kind of standing in one of the rows, uh, chatting, and uh, apparently a regular came up and, and asked us to get out of her row. The a row immediately uh, uh, in front of us was empty, immediately behind us was empty. There were literally hundred, hundreds of seats available. I was in her row. We moved. <laughs> and we didn't go back. It's, it's interesting. Even in the church, we can act like selfish fools. The staff, speaking of selfish fools, no, bad transition. <laughs> the staff has been pouring over details with our building expansion. Um, frankly, I think most of our churches are sick of making decisions. We just want it to be done. Uh, anybody uh, have a house renovation? Build a house with your, with your spouse? Are you still with your spouse? Because <laughs> some aren't. Um, it's, it's a relationship test for sure. And, but we can't ignore all those little details. Somebody has to make those decisions. So almost every week, uh, multiple times a week, we have to talk about these little details. Um, you know, where should the light switches go? Left or right side of the door? What color should the walls be? What kind of chairs are we going to get and how many? Are they stackable? Well, how many stack? Well, is that going to fit in the closet? How many, how many carts are we going to have to have? How are we going to use each area? What are we going to call each area? How does each de uh, de decision affect each ministry area? And everybody has an opinion. And you can imagine some of us get quite passionate about these decisions and details and opinions. But if we let it get too far, we're getting dangerously close to unnecessary division. And that's just the staff. You all have invested into this expansion too. Look at how many opinions we have in this room. If we allow us to focus on the minor details, we're, we're headed for trouble. I follow Pastor Tim because he prefers black chairs and a height, stage height of 34 inches. Well, I follow Pastor Taryn because she prefers dark charcoal chairs and she wants a stage height of 36 inches. It's more biblical because it's divisible by 12. <laughs> now we're just being ridiculous. We think our children are ridiculous because they can't share their toys for about 15 minutes. If you just sacrifice it, it's your toy. You'll be able to play with it later when they go home. We think they're ridiculous, but we're just as ridiculous. I heard of a church split over the color of the sanctuary carpet. Come on, church. All because of our immaturities, our, our self-centeredness, and lack of unity and focus on what truly matters. You know, we as disciples cannot buy into this American individualistic culture. We can't major in the minors. We have to focus on what brings us together, what unifies us as Christians. Now, Paul shows us what brings us together uh, in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. A shared purpose brings us together. He says it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. Paul explains it doesn't matter what roles he and Apollos are playing. Don't focus on that. Focus on the fact that we are working towards the same purpose. And continuing uh, in verses 9... And 16, jumping to verse 16 as well, who we are brings us together. 
Paul describes us as a building, God's building. And to go farther, he says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? We're the temple of God. Don't miss this. Don't over-westernize this passage here. Don't think individual, many little temples everywhere. He says, don't you know that we collectively make up the temple of God? And we all stand on a shared foundation. In verse 11, Paul explains that Christ is that foundation for this building, for the temple. And we can't allow our differences to create division because we have a shared purpose to collectively be and build the temple that stands on our shared foundation, which is Christ. So Paul explains Christ is the foundation on which the temple stands, us. And in this whole section, he continues and explains that we're both the building and the laborers. And we have a choice to make here. Which type of material are we going to use to add to the temple? Long-lasting precious stones or hay and sticks? Um, you know you're a father of a, a small child when the three little pigs comes to play here. We know the story of the three little pigs very well. We learned a lot from it. Uh, we learned that the house of straw and the house of sticks go up very quickly. And the first two pigs, they didn't put a whole lot of effort into it so that they could get the job done and they could go off and do what they wanted to do. But the third pig, well, see, he used proper materials. He sacrificed his time so that his house would be long-lasting. And in the end, it ended up saving the other two pigs. Whether he realized it or not, his work would benefit his entire family because he worked with a different set of standards. You know, being part of the temple of God, the body of Christ, cannot involve worldly standards. It cannot involve individualism. We are a unit founded in Christ. So it's not about you, and it's not about me. This is about God and the work he has given us to do. Do you accept the responsibility that comes with being a disciple, being a part of the temple? A, worker's, a worker whose sole purpose is to bring focus to God. N.T. Wright asks this question. Is what I'm doing encouraging and enabling people to worship the true and living God in holiness and truth? If not, am I perhaps being untrue to the foundation that has been laid? Are my thoughts and actions following the blueprint that Paul laid, building on the foundation of Christ? Or am I hindering its progress and putting its strength and purity in jeopardy by majoring in the minors and adopting worldly standards? Does my work for the kingdom represent straws and sticks or appropriately long-lasting precious stones that have a lasting impact that fit the temple of God? Living differently is not easy. Not allowing the world's standards and judgments to creep into the church is not easy. Let's look at chapter 4 and see what Paul says on this. So if I were to summarize chapter 4, I hear Paul saying things like this. Stop using the world's standards to judge how holy and wise you are because you're fools before God when you do that. 
Paul says, look at Apollos and myself. We're living through the power of God, even if that makes us look like fools to the world. Frankly, I don't care because it's God's opinion I'm concerned with and not yours or the world's. I'm willing to sacrifice my comfort here in this life because I'm confident in what's to come. I'm going to come visit soon, Lord willing, and we'll see if you're simply arrogant people just giving pretentious speeches or if you're actually living by the power of God. Paul is urging the church to focus on a bigger picture. Now, 1030 service, this is for you. Here's an immediate application for you. So if you haven't noticed, the parking lot uh, is getting a little tight. Uh, and I know we've got several spaces uh, you know, taken up by uh, temporarily construction areas and stuff. Um, but the last month or so, we've noticed even the chairs in here getting a little tight. So I'm going to ask if you are able to take a mission trip. You do not have to pack a bag. You don't need a passport. I'm going to ask you to take a mission trip on Sunday mornings to the 9 o'clock service. Because, and here's why, this is, again, this is not about you. Many, a high majority of our guests come at the 1030 service. Let's make room for them. Let's bring them into the temple of God. Um, yes, this might mean that you have to let someone else play with your toy for a while. You might have to sacrifice a little bit. But if someone else comes into the temple of God, isn't that sacrifice worth it? So I just want you to consider that. Um, we're a little offset uh, right now with, with our expansion project. So just you know, consider that if you would, please. Imagine how indestructible the temple of God would be if all its workers set aside the worldly values, set aside differences, stopped majoring in the minors. If we all put forth effort to continue to grow as disciples, staying true to our purpose and focus of becoming more and more like Christ each and every day, then we'd really see what true unity looks like. We'd put the group above our own wants and needs, and it wouldn't matter what I got out of it. In college, I uh, had some friends who went to Africa. I'm blanking on the country that they were in, but they came back with this story. On their short-term mission trip, um, they were playing with the kids, and they wanted to just, you know, do some games. They, they, didn't, they wanted to do a foot race. And so they had all the kids line up shoulder-to-shoulder uh, -shoulder on the starting line. And they backed up a few paces and said, okay, we're going to say go in just a minute, and you want, we want you to race towards uh, me, and whoever gets to me first wins this big bag of candy. Okay, so you can imagine the excitement of these kids, because if it were me, I would be judging my competition, I'd be, you know, shaking it loose, like, I'm going to win this candy. I'm thinking about getting across that finish line first. I might even inch a little bit like this to get going. And so the missionary said, ready, set, go. And to the surprise these kids looked at each other, they all grabbed hands, and they walked together across the finish line. It didn't make sense for them to compete with one another and crown one winner and the rest be losers. See, they figured out a way to say, hey, let's care about the group. 
I can't wait to see this building expansion open, mainly because I don't want to make decisions anymore. <laughs> but also, we'll be able to do so many things with our different ministries, all coming together as one unit, working together towards one purpose, focusing on bringing people into relationship with Christ. It starts with you, and it starts with me. Living differently from the world, putting aside our individual differences, bringing our differences together to create synergy, to build the temple, sacrificing our own wants and comfort for the sake of the whole, to build the temple of God. We are different, but unlike the world, we're different together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the many personalities that you've created. I thank you for the differences among us. It would be quite boring if you didn't create such a, an amazing creation. But Father, sometimes those differences get in the way. And I just ask that you would help us to focus, redirect our energy to what's truly important, our unified purpose built on Christ's work on the cross. We ask that you would help us to come together as a unit to bring more glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.